Welcome to the Northern Business Podcast. Each week we're talking to people active in business and the economy about the big issues facing and driving the growth in the north of England. We're sponsored by Virtue Motors, one of the UK's largest motor retailers. Check out its website at virtuemotors.com. I'm Graham Robb, owner of Recognition PR. We have scores of businesses as our clients and we promote their products and services. Some are even featured on this podcast. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Both of our guests this week are down the line. We've got Vicky Taylor, Director of Debt Finance at the Growth Lending Company, which is financing companies around the north. And it's a B2B lender specialising in SMEs and Vicky's based in Manchester. We also have Tony Wells, founder and managing director of Merit, an award-winning off-site construction firm based in Northumberland. And later, my colleague Joss Havakin will be talking to Stuart Dixon of Weirdale Lithium. Tony and Vicky, welcome. We're going to start with you first, Tony. Um, the economy, we always talk about what the data points are in the economy at the top of this programme. And we noticed that today, uh, Wednesday, the uh, inflation figures were out and they were just down a bit more than was expected by economists. Where do you see the economy in your world of long term planning for big construction projects? Yeah, that's tricky. I mean, obviously, compared to the rest of the world, uh, the UK is struggling to bring that inflation figure down. I think uh, the US is obviously uh, uh, doing a much better job of uh, of that. Um, I mean, any any reduction is helpful. Um, I think I think what we've done is to adapt to the reality of uh, of higher inflation, and uh, um, you know, I think we both share the. Uh, the uh, the productivity goal um, and uh, so yeah so we're using all sorts of uh, innovative disruptive innovative solutions in order to increase productivity and offset um, any of these sort of headwinds that the economy is sort of presenting us with now. So your products are for big organisations. Let's hear from you what the product is. It's a big factory and I can see people at desks with computers behind you as well. What is the uh, ultimate product that you sell? Um, well, I suppose we, you would say that we're in construction, but we don't really do much construction. And, and, and our business is, is all about removing the construction element of providing a building product. Um, we build uh, healthcare and biotech facilities mostly. We, we have some um, experience in semiconductors, um, EV battery manufacturing, aerospace and stuff. Um, but essentially, uh, right now, particularly after COVID and so on, big push on biotech, UK is strong in biotech. Um, and uh, we're building the facilities that, uh, that allow those uh, new therapies to be manufactured. Um, no, I think I'm... our big... Sorry. A crude way of describing it is that you manufacture these buildings, some of which are very high tech, building clean labs, and then take them to site and make sure that they're assembled by people who know what they're doing. Uh, well, that's that's certainly uh, uh, part of it. Uh, yeah, we, 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 we off-site manufacture about 80% uh, of the building content. And we we self deliver in, um, about two thirds, uh, although we're pushing that um, higher towards about three quarters of the building content. And we do, you know, the design ourselves. It's all three D modelled. We're incredibly IT focused. I think growth and productivity, particularly in the US, all is really 
generally attributed to uh, um, investment in ICT. Uh, and so we're, you know, we, we're going down that 3D modeling. Um, you know, we, we even tender it with a 3D Revit model right now. So, uh, so we've, we've kind of discarded any 2D uh, generation of, uh, of modeling and, uh, and that's driving growth. Um, but we can generate, we can build, we've just built Orderless's new CAR T cell manufacturing facility. So that's a, a ground break in leukemia treatment. So, you know, it turns, um, a palliative care situation into um, around 75% cure. I don't think people like to use cure, but the the efficacy uh, on those uh, on Autolysis products are, are, are pretty outstanding. So um, once you've got a product like gener- that that's passed all the drug regulators, the demand to have uh, facilities to produce it and produce it at speed and at pace is very important and i suppose this is where additional productivity comes in absolutely so you know if people want the therapy and it normally takes four or five years to build that building um you know we we got orderless away in 17 months from first uh, start of design uh, with only 54 weeks on site and they were into uh, uh product qualification so you know if we help um you know, if we bring three years earlier, that 6,000 patients that get the, the therapy wouldn't all otherwise uh, uh, achieve that. And then, but even then, I mean, they're, they're only making 2,000 therapies a year, and it's probably 1% of the population in the world who would like to have that therapy. So the growth in biotech is obviously a, a big opportunity. And if you can save multiple years through a different way of delivering the building, um, then that's incredibly helpful. The National Audit Office reported this week that the government's new hospital programme is going to experience delays. Instead of delivering 40 new hospitals by 2030, it's more likely to deliver 32 hospitals. Now, I know you've done a couple of hospitals, but is this different way of uh, entering the construction of company uh, drug company facilities easy to apply to UK hospitals? Um, so, absolutely, yes. Um, uh, We've started to make some inroads into NHS with um, uh, with a couple of new hospital projects, elective theatre project down in Solihull and, uh, and Berwick Hospital that we're, we're, we're constructing now. And I think I think we'll be able to achieve significant cost savings uh, compared to the traditional um, um, tier one fabric, you know, fragmented delivery model and. Uh, and also, you know, we've got a really high-end product, enhanced infection control, um, zero scope one enabled buildings, um, and um, delivered, de- you know, far less than half the time it would take. Typically, I think we could we could be thinking about four years quicker than uh, than is traditionally uh, set, and we can give fixed price security because even you know, inflation is helpful for us. I mean, it's not helpful for the economy but um but for us it, it our business model allows us to buy most of the equipment almost on day one so that mitigates people's risk we can give fixed prices when the construction industry clearly can't if you look at usage station and such like um so yeah all of that works in our favor we just got to um get people on board with a different technology in an industry that really hasn't changed in 100 years now, the industry you're talking about is the construction industry, isn't it? Because I know it's uh, one of your uh, favourite uh, talking points, that productivity gains 
uh, it's easy if you're in uh, in a, a business that's going to use AI or you're going to use uh, you're going to use uh, introduce new technology. But if a, if an organisation persists in doing it the same way day in day out, you're not going to get the productivity gain. I think uh, so. You're absolutely right. I think I think the construction industry has kind of got itself into a hole of a fragmented, low cost delivery with low innovation, low IT, um, low in. I don't think it can really go anywhere with from where they are right now. So um, we've reinvented it in a way that allows us to industrialize, produce a product, and then a production system that we're now starting to uh, automate and, and boost productivity. But I think. You know, since we've been measuring productivity growth since we kind of ripped up our business plan and, and, and went in another direction in 2016, uh, we've had a 72% increase in labor productivity. So it's it's really starting to um, make a difference. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, um, we're it, it's very difficult to get early adopters when you're in a very conservative industry that hasn't changed for so long. Mm. Um, so if somebody's got to take a brave pill and then allow you to prove it. You've got to make sure that you end up with a delighted client. And then once you achieve that, then, you know, it starts to gain some momentum. So that's kind of where we are. Right and, now. and some of the early adopters, we'll bring Vicky in in a moment as well. Some of these early adopters do tend to be American farmer, don't they? They, they, they? Maybe do they have a different attitude to the risk of having a project done by a different method? Um. It's true to say that American people are a bit more um, open to change, I would say. Uh, so, yeah, we, Autolist is, uh, I mean, the technology is actually from um, from the UK, but there's a lot of US people there, and Moderna, obviously, we're working for now. Uh, US based, you know, they're obviously a high flying, the, the, you know, um, RNA technology launch with the COVAX thing. It's like, so. Um, but actually, you know, the therapy catapult, uh, the team there led by um, Stephen Ward um, were definitely some of the early adopters. And that's a government funded body, which has been incredibly successful in bringing um, UK uh, inward investment in biotech and building that cluster around Stephen. So um, it's not only American people, but they are a little bit more open to uh, new things, I would say. Okay, Tony, you, your sound was breaking up for our listeners, but the people watching would have seen some of the pictures of your factory and uh, how, how impressive it is in Cramlington. I'm going to talk to Vicky in, in about financing, but clearly when you talk about productivity, all the time you're talking about time, time being saved in delivering projects. They're not necessarily cheaper, are they? It's not necessarily a financial gain they get. It's about the time. Um, you have to invest an awful lot in the design process um, and the production and obviously new factories and so on. So right now, I would say maybe two years ago, people were paying about a 10% premium for our product. Um, right now, it's, it's, it's certainly no more expensive. It's perhaps slightly lower price, um, but you get fixed price cost certainty. Right. Uh, and I think in the next couple of years, it will be substantially cheaper than an equivalent product so um we're just moving into that you know that zone now where we've got economy of scale and we've got uh you know significant automation and uh yeah that 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 should put us into a, a good situation where you can have a faster higher end product for less money 
Tony, thanks for telling us about Merritt Construction's products. It's in, up there, Cramlington in uh, Northumberland is where the factory is based, but I know you're servicing different clients around the country. We might come back to you in a moment after we've heard from Vicky. Vicky, what did you make of the way the, um, the, the data is crunching this week, the inflation figures and the subsequent effect on long-term interest rates? Because inflation was a bit less than most commentators thought it would be when it was announced, and long-term interest rates came down a bit. Yeah, I mean, it's very welcome news, um, heading in the right direction. Um, but as Tony said, uh, you know, we are kind of way behind your, the rest of the Eurozone and the US. Um, I think kind of the day-to-day -day impact, if I'm brutally honest, for our businesses, um, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. So whilst it's very welcome news, the day-to-day -day realities of what the businesses are experiencing and the challenges will continue. So. There is a long road ahead. I think it's probably a good couple of years before we, you know, we hit our kind of target of two percent. Um, step in the right direction and very encouraging. But in terms of the pressures that businesses are kind of feeding back to us as their challenges, you know, the, the costs that they're experiencing, whether that's energy prices, uh, wages, kind of recruiting and retaining the right staff members, um, and the cost of finance at the moment um, are particular pressures that hopefully will be alleviated but I think it's a more of a, a long-term impact rather than immediate that they'll be feeling today. Okay let's talk about the cost of finance. Uh, you help SME businesses and uh, you have a range of products you deliver from loans of £100,000 to £10 million, I, I understand. Um, so how do you deliver your finance? What form is your favoured choice of delivering cash to small and medium-sized enterprise? Um, so we, when we originally kind of um, were established back in 2013, it was really to kind of fill that gap between the more traditional kind of uh, lenders. So the high street banks offering kind of overdrafts, where at that time they were focusing on their existing client base, understandably, rather than bringing on new clients or looking at more diverse kind of sectors. So the types of funding that kind of we focus on is more bespoke, so flexible funding, essentially. Um, since we kind of started in 2013, we've expanded ourselves. So it's not just kind of based in the UK growth lending, it's international. So we can look at kind of businesses based in um, the EU and US. So we can fund kind of overseas subsidiaries. And essentially kind of the, the products that we offer range from kind of lends to smaller businesses. So possibly recently established trading kind of six months plus where we offer kind of selective invoice finance options. So that can be in kind of sterling, US dollar or euro. And essentially that works for B2B businesses that have cash tied up in unpaid invoices. So if they're raising invoices to debtors, where they're giving kind of terms of between kind of 30 or 90 days, that cash is tied up until they receive payment. And invoice finance is effectively a way of receiving payment for those invoices up front from us as a lender um, to avoid them kind of having to wait to pay suppliers or pay wages at the end of the week. So, But you're not, and, you're not necessarily lending money uh, for capital purchases or things like that. It's, it's really cash flow and uh, it's a substitute for an overdraft, I suppose. Um, yeah, it's more flexible than an overdraft in that kind of as a business grows, the facility grows with them. So it's less kind of strict criteria for than an overdraft. Um, the use of funds is quite diverse, actually. So 
There are businesses that will use it for day-to-day -day working capital. So like I said uh, earlier, to pay wages, but there are businesses that will use kind of our full invoice discounting or term debts, kind of cash flow loans to acquire another business or kind of uh, fund a shareholder exit or potentially kind of investment into product development or international expansion. So the, the use of funds really varies depending on the types of clients. Um, and do you always do have to back it up with invoices or do you do other kind of uh, guarantees? Um, so um, under the government-backed schemes, we were kind of offering facilities under CBILS and RLS. Um, since kind of the end of the, the previous RLS scheme, we've kind of pivoted ourselves, I suppose, and kind of zoomed in. So the product that we offer is kind of the selective invoice finance for kind of international businesses and UK, the invoice discounting and kind of term debt facilities. But there are a lot of kind of alternative lenders out there, particularly kind of in the north where I'm based, where they will offer kind of bespoke forms of funding. So whilst we don't kind of offer it, there is kind of asset back finance so you know funding large pieces of kit or machinery on the kind of um shop floor if you will um or inventory funding so lenders will leverage kind of the assets kind of on the balance sheet and, and generate kind of capital from that so there's a there's a wide range kind of right through kind of cash flow facilities and venture debt and equity so there's it, a lot of options out there a lot more than there was kind of 10 years ago if a company has financial problems or has cash flow difficulties sometimes the interest rates can be punishing how do you sit in the way you level uh, levy your interest rates so depending on kind of the type of funding that that we structure for a business um our kind of rates will be a lot lower on kind of an asset back facility. So whilst we don't fund kind of physical assets like plant and machinery or property, um, the invoice is essentially an, the asset to us. So because we are kind of secured on that asset, the the interest kind of rates and um, kind of cost of funding does tend to be um, a lot lower than a cash flow facility that's based on kind of forecast and recurring revenue streams. So um, to keep costs low, my advice would be leverage kind of the the assets on the uh, balance sheet as much as you can so unencumbered assets property inventory plant machinery and your debtor book are all good kind of assets to leverage to keep the the interest as low as possible if you do get into kind of more unsecured kind of cash flow facilities they are kind of underwritten based on assumptions and forecasts which as we know are quite volatile at the moment and so they will kind of cost um, significantly more than an asset back facility. Now, your organisation is called Growth Lending, uh, and you're based in Manchester. Uh, and I notice on the data you've done more than £650 million, so a significant amount, and you've supported 130 uh, companies. Now, it's Growth Lending. One assumes that there are positive reasons for the money to be advanced. It's not distress lending. Where the economy is now, are you getting more calls from organisations in distress or are you getting more calls from optimistic, upbeat organisations who want to take a positive journey forward? It is a real mixture. Um, so we have kind of continued to get kind of introductions, normally from advisors looking for funding for their clients um, on the businesses where they are actually seeking out the opportunities that have been caused by the kind of volatile environment. So those that are on kind of a, the growth trajectory of acquisitions, so looking for strategic partnerships and growth capital to fund that is quite a lot of our inquiries. 
On the flip side, there's certainly more businesses in a more distressed position. So whilst we don't kind of focus on that market specifically, we do see more and are able to support businesses that perhaps aren't quite hitting their kind of forecast figures because contracts haven't renewed or haven't materialised like they were expecting them to. So the, the kind of margins are being squeezed on businesses. And, you know, we are realistic that that is going to be the case kind of for the foreseeable future. So the, there are lenders, including us, that, that are willing to support businesses that aren't turning, you know, a profit or are slightly underperforming than, than they would have liked to be. But um, I would say the inquiries are probably a mixture, really, of, of those that are really feeling the strain and those that are kind of taking the opportunity in a in the the good position where they can take advantage advantage of that okay now in a minute we're going to be hearing from a business that's in a new new zone entirely they're exploring and found uh, a way of extracting lithium in county durham which is right at the cutting edge tony you're at the cutting edge of new innovative ways of delivering buildings do you think tony uh, and i don't want you to don't want to pry into your own finances, but in your own experience, that you're seeing lenders uh, optimistic enough, for forward-looking enough to be advancing into new ways of doing business rather than just picking up debt. It sounds like Vicky's trying to do both. Um, it, it is difficult to get um, uh, cash, I would say. Uh, I think, uh, you know, ever since I started Merit in... or took over Merit in 2002, it's been uh, somewhat of an uphill struggle to uh, to get uh, sufficient funding, uh, whether it was for um, capital or cash flow or uh, bonding and stuff like that. So uh, that has been a challenge, I would say. Um, I think the larger you get and the, you know, the stronger your balance sheet, then self-evidently that becomes uh, much easier. Uh, and so we're finding that, you know, we, we're self-funding our our growth and our investment, and we've got supportive lenders now. Uh, but I um, and when you don't uh, need it, it, it was, you get offered it. Don't it's you, hard Tony? work. I said, Tony, when you don't need it, you always get offered it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. When you when you don't need money, you can get money. That's for sure. And and so um, I think probably the UK really needs to think about funding SMEs and how that works, um, because. You know, I think raising cash is not so easy. Um, but, you know, right right now we're, um, it's becoming progressively easier for us, I would say. And, and Vicky, I, listening to you, it sounds like you're the kind of organisation with only 130 companies instead of thousands that you could have a conversation with rather than just do a tick box system uh, based on online. Yeah, so kind of our lending criteria will is not, you know, based on an algorithm. So I will go out and kind of meet with businesses that are seeking the funding to understand kind of how much it is that they're looking to raise and, and what they're using it for. I think businesses and business owners now with the stress of kind of navigating the last three years want that kind of added value. Um, so not just the kind of transactional funds into the account and then never hear from them. I think those days are, are gone and they do kind of want a relationship with their lender. Um, I think it's more important than ever that that is in place and that there's regular discussions between kind of a portfolio manager looking after a client and, and the business owners, because it is so vol volatile out there and things are changing every day. And there are a lot of challenges kind of externally on businesses that some of which they can mitigate and some that they can't. But 
that kind of added value piece of introductions to the right people, advisors, if it is in a more distressed position, potentially kind of a restructuring firm to help them kind of cut costs and, and structure the business more efficiently. I think that kind of added value is really what the kind of alternative lenders are offering at the moment. Well, Vicky, Tony, thank you for joining me live today. And uh, I'm sure you're both innovating in uh, different ways. Tony, I'm sure we'll hear a lot more of the products and services of Merit Construction in the years ahead. And Vicky, come back and join me again. Thank you very much. Now, Thanks. over to my colleague, Joss Havakin, who earlier caught up with Stuart Dixon from Weirdale Lithium. Thanks, Graham. The global race to phase out the use of fossil fuels is dependent on a few key minerals and elements, most notably lithium, best known for its use in car batteries and other battery applications. Now this is usually extracted in dirty mining operations in Africa, South America, but now a brand new company, Weirdale Lithium, has found a way to extract lithium from the briny waters running under the hills of the Pennines. I've caught up with Stuart Dixon from Weirdale Lithium and one of his Manchester-based lab partners to find out just how they're doing it and what that means for the UK. So this is a really significant milestone that we've achieved in that for the first time, to the best of our knowledge, lithium has been extracted from the naturally occurring geothermal brines here in County Durham. So currently there is no production of lithium in the United Kingdom or the European Union and really taking ownership of our supply chain gives us energy security, gives us robust supply chains and importantly gives us a domestic supply for our future growth ambitions here up in the north. In executing our scale-up delivery plans, we'll be looking to redevelop this brownfield site, which has lain dormant for over 20 years here at Eastgate. It's a centrepiece of redeveloping uh, this site with new green high-tech jobs. And I also caught up with Sebastian from Watercycle Technologies to find out a little bit more about the science. And so beneath our feet, there's large quantities of lithium in the water. And we've taken samples of the water, processed it in our lab, and turned it into this product here, which is lithium carbonate. And lithium carbonate is one of the main types of lithium that goes into electric vehicle batteries. So the UK is actually very well positioned to be a leader in, in sustainable lithium battery storage production. Um, uh, but it has to come from somewhere. And we can either import it from China or import it from South America, or we can actually extract it from beneath our feet. Those of you watching at home will have noticed that the weather has improved significantly since I was speaking to Stuart. And I'm pleased to say there's a bright future shining down on the northeast of England where lithium can make a huge impact on not only the northeast economy, but also the future industries needed in the UK. Back to you, Graham. Thanks, Josh. Well, Josh uh, was up there in Weirdale and looking at how uh, lithium is being extracted from the Weirdale uh, area of outstanding natural beauty. Fantastic place and what an innovative way of uh, looking at our future power needs. We also had innovation in a factory uh, in uh, Northumberland, building places for the big drug companies of the world and innovation in finance. And all of this was produced by my good friend, Rosie Earle. And I just want to say thank you to her. She's uh, leaving recognition uh, and uh, the production job that she's had on this uh, programme. And she's done a great job over the last few months. So Rosie, best of luck in the future. Now, if you want to join us as a guest on a future Northern Business podcast, we're booking our autumn schedule now. Uh, Harry Sinclair is going to be the guy looking after that. And you can get in touch with him uh, or you can use our LinkedIn page on the comments below. Join us next week for another Northern Business podcast and never miss an episode. Rate, like or subscribe on YouTube 
or wherever you get your podcasts.